Good morning. We're in Genesis chapter 18 this morning. We're going to go through the first 15 verses. Next week we will go through the next part of the verses and we may jump right into 19 because that story just goes right on into 19. And that's Sodom and Gomorrah and how God deals with it. You can see God's mercy and his grace, especially in that story next week. But we also see restoration. We see redemption in the story that we have this week. So I'm excited for that. And um, I couldn't just skip over it by saying, well, we studied it last week, which we kind of did. But we're going to go into it a little bit more detail this morning. So we're in Genesis chapter 18. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. Before we get there, uh, our sermon is titled Hospitality. And the main point is we are one or the other, quick to serve the Lord or quick to give excuses. Question is why? Remember, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. As we remember that, we look how Abram comes before the Father. Now, the passage in chapter 16 to 17, we have a we have a long passage of time. We have about 13, 14 years that happens in between. Between chapters 17 and 18, we're probably talking days, okay? If not days, we might have a month in there, maybe. But most commentaries, that both of them that I read um, and listened to this week, both said this was probably days after the he met in 17, which what do we have in chapter 17? They are being circumcised, right? He circumcised all the male and himself, and he is 99 years old, and see how he approaches the Lord this morning. So in verse 1 of Genesis 18, says, The Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. My Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All right, he said, do as you have said. Our first point this morning is opportunity knocks. The Lord appeared again to Abraham and like I said, both commentaries I looked at this morning says it's, it's very close to chapter 17. And we, that's when Abraham and all the males of his household were circumcised. It's the heat of the day. This is not the most opportune time to be serving somebody. Okay, It is hot out. Uh, you're in pain. You're at the edge of your tent hoping for a little bit of a breeze. And... Abraham sees them off in the distance and he runs to greet them. I don't know about you. Um, I know vasectomy is a little bit different than circumcision, but I'm not going to be doing much running uh, when anything like that's happened to me down there. And uh, for Abraham to do that just shows that he is a man of faith 
and he can recognize his Savior, right? That, I think that's the most important thing is they recognize when God is working and he runs to greet him. So how do we see that? When God's working in, near, or around us, do we recognize it? I ask this because I believe, and I also saw this in the commentaries, this is a little bit up for debate as well, that the three men that show up, some commentaries say all three of those are one God. It's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit that show up. And if you look at Abraham addresses them, he kind of addresses them in the singular. And he talks to them as my Lord. He talks to them as, as one. So I thought that was very interesting. Um, whether it's Jesus and two of his angels, we don't know. But what we do know is that there's are God's representatives. I believe this is the angel of the Lord. When I say the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, I also believe that means Jesus. I think they're face-to-face with the Son of God. That's Anytime I see that in the Old Testament, I've... I'm studied enough that I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty confident that's who it is, okay? But regardless, whether you want to believe it's three angels or it's Jesus and two angels or all three parts of the Trinity there, we need to remember these verses and this verse particularly in Hebrews 13.2. We want to keep this in mind. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. And I dare say even um, the Lord himself. I remember one time I was at um, Mount Olive and got one of those encounters with somebody come along along and just pops out out of nowhere and never saw him again. And you just wonder, um, was that? I've also had other times when somebody popped out out of nowhere and they were actually living behind the shed at Mount Olive. So there's a little bit of both. So, um, but the one was, it was different and you, you just don't know. And I don't think you're supposed to ever know on, on this earth because you should treat, whether they, you think them saintly or sinly, you should treat them the same as Jesus would, right? He never looked down on anybody because they were young in the faith, in, the, in stature. He never looked down on anybody because they were, a Pharisee or a Gentile, he looked at them all the same and he held those that knew the word better at a higher standard, right? That's why he gets a little harder on the Pharisee than he does maybe uh, the woman that's caught in adultery in John chapter eight. So I'll ask it this way. So we do not miss out. How do we find opportunities like Abraham has found? How, how do we see those opportunities? Okay, so I have three different ways that we may be able to see these things. And I didn't put them up there. They might be on your notes. It says, first we need to follow God's example. Follow God's example. Well, what do you mean? We're going to be able to see God by following his example? Well, yeah, let me explain. Uh, was it convenient for Christ to die on the cross. Not really convenient. I don't think I don't even think he really wanted to. But in 1 John 4, 9 through 10, a couple of verses that we had for the call to worship this morning says, God showed 
how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. We, as Christ followers, need to follow Christ's example. We need to show love first, just as Christ has shown us love. Okay, And then we need to keep our eyes open to love others. When Abraham was at his tent, he wasn't loathing being circumcised. He was, maybe he was even excited that he was saved by a God that, that loves him. But he was looking for opportunities to serve because when he saw three strangers, he was hospitable and was able to bring them in. So he was able to conquer his fear. And as we also need to conquer our fear and keep moving forward. And wouldn't you know that would be a practical application this week. As I walk into Menards Friday night, I see this lady coming out of Menards with three bags of soil. I think they were soil. And they're about 40 pounders, maybe 30 pounders. And she's parked in a handicapped parking spot. So I know she's probably not going to be able to lift those maybe as easy as she once was. And so I got, and I'm walking in, I'm just bebopping along and I get to halfway there. And it's like, remember, look for opportunities to serve. Okay, so I turned around and asked her, would you like help loading those into your car? And she's like, no, I can manage. And um, the point is not being, I didn't, like, here I come as the superhero to save the day. And, you know, I loaded this lady and she was on her way. No, it was, it's looking for those opportunities to serve. Whereas normally I may just walk in and say, well, you know, hope, wish you well and go along your way. Just like it says in James. You know, if they're cold, you got to give them your coat kind of thing. That's what Jesus did. So think about that. Consider those things. We must be ready to serve. That's the second point. Abraham was at the mouth of his tent. He sees strangers and then he acts as a host. He acts sacrificially. He puts himself as a servant. He is the head of the household. But he also knows he just had all the males of his household circumcised. So he's not going to have them do anything that he's not willing to do himself. So he runs out there and he becomes the servant. And he invites them in and he asks them if they need assistance. And we also need to keep our radars open for opportunities to serve. Now, if you look at this passage of scripture in Genesis chapter 18, you have a passage of life because there's going to be a promise of the heir coming again in this passage. And then there's a passage of death that comes right after it. There's two major contrasts, okay? When Abraham asked for the life of his nephew Lot, he is able to come before the Lord because he is in step, walking in step with the Lord and that's something that we need to be paying attention. He would not be able to ask for, I'm convinced that he would not be able to ask for the life of Lot if he wasn't living in righteousness. Okay? Does that mean we always have to live in righteousness? No. I think the last 14 years have been pretty rough in their household. 
Okay, I can't prove that from the scriptures, but I really think these last two times we see this reconciliation happening between Sarah and Abraham. God's changed their names. God's drawing them back together. Where is Sarah at at this time? Last time he had to go and get her. This time she's right next to, in the tent right next door. So it was probably a large tent and there was probably a, um, a cloth in between. So when he announces what he's going to announce, we'll get into this too. I'm going to probably repeat this twice, but it's interesting because as he announces that, she's right next door and she laughs, right? We'll get into all that in just a minute. But we need to have an attitude of service as well. So like Abraham, we must have an attitude of service. He takes an attitude of a certain servant. He notices the similarities between the last visit and this one. These guys come, they appear. He's looking. He sees them appear again. He runs out to meet them. They're off in the distance. Right? What did they come to do? Did they come to visit Abraham? No. They came to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he has diverted them on this. They bless him again, bless Sarah again, and they keep going. He goes with them. You think it was convenient for him to stand up for Sodom and Gomorrah when he's in there with his foreskin just chopped off? Probably not at 99. I don't think that's the most comfortable thing. And yet he is. It's not always convenient to serve the Lord, is it? It's like, am I in the peak of health? Am I ready to go? I'm, did I wake up on the right side of the bed this morning? Am I? I did not, by the way. That's why I'm talking very slow. I woke up at 4.30 this morning. I'm kind of tired, but it helps me on sermon day because it slows me down. Uh, even though he is that head of the household, he doesn't tell them to fend for themselves. Because in that culture, especially if you're out in the desert coming, you have to, you depend on your host to feed you. And they, they, the hospitality of that culture is so much so that they will go without so their guests can have. Do we have that culture here at White Rose? Yes and no. I think when it comes to potluck days, I think we can be very gracious. I think when it comes to the food pantry, yes, we can be very gracious. But when it comes to opening our homes, sometimes that can be a little bit more tricky, right? We think we have to have our house a certain way. We think we have to have this a certain way and that. And it's nice to have that, isn't it? But when one of Bethany's friends comes over or one of the kids runs into the house after youth group, um, I said, this is a house that's lived in. Um, that's, we got toys around. And let me tell you, we got some toys around. And... Because we do a lot of things outside the home. Sometimes our home doesn't always get picked up all the time. And you're not always ready for guests in that aspect, but you always got to be ready for guests. Does that make sense? Your heart's got to be ready for guests. Yeah, you might be a little embarrassed every once in a while, but that's all right. So even though he's the head of the household, he does not tell them to fend for themselves. He does not stay in his tent moping and, and wandering and feeling sorry for himself. And he doesn't see them and say, oh, I'll get them next time. He is on it every time. Okay. 
He is walking in obedience, ready to serve anyone. Therefore, when God shows up, he's ready to serve him too. Right? God, Abraham doesn't make an exception to notice that it's God and then serve. He's serving everyone. And when God shows up, he happens to serve him too. There's a different attitude in that kind of mindset and that kind of thinking, isn't there? If you're serving everyone, you don't have to worry about if the, if the Savior's one of them because you're already have an attitude of service. That is very humble and that is a very, very good host in hospitality. Sets a great example of that and I think their culture does a good job of setting that and it's something we need as a culture to look at better. So I, it comes down to where are one or the other quick to serve the Lord or quick to give excuses? The question is why. Remember, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Because I, I get to that situation a lot of times, and this is just coming right out of the heart. And I, I ask, I'm either quick to serve and helping that lady, or I'm like, oh, she she doesn't want help. You know, we don't, we don't. She, I, I'm in a rush. She's in a rush. She's, she doesn't need any help. And on the way. But if we walk as Jesus, if we want to say we live in God, we better live our lives as Jesus did. And you better believe Jesus stopped and helped. So, um Let's keep going. Genesis chapter 18, 6, 7, and 8. So Abraham ran back to the tent and said to Sarah, Hurry, get three large measures of your best flour, knead it into dough, and bake some bread. Then Abraham ran out to the herd and chose a tender calf and gave it to his servant, who quickly prepared it. And when the food was ready, Abraham took some yogurt and milk and roasted meat, and he served it to the men. As they ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees. We need to be quick to serve. Hurry, quick, run. You see that very often in these three verses. Okay, and in this whole passage, passage as a whole, you see it very often. How are Abraham and his male servants feeling right now? Are they feeling like hurry and run? I think that was their teams, actually, probably. Just kidding. Uh, no, I don't think so. No, me either. No, me either. They should be laying around, shouldn't they? They should be taking it easy. But when God is on the scene of our lives and in theirs, they don't sit around waiting for him to show up. When they see God off in the distance, they don't say, well, we'll wait till he gets over here. They run to where God is working and they move. And that is very difficult. It's very difficult for them to do and it's very difficult for us to do, I think, sometimes. So we shouldn't sit around waiting for God to show up. We should look where he is working and move there. Right? How often are we looking for the forest through the trees? Right? Man, if they just move these trees out of the way, I'd be able to see the forest. Right? There's opportunities to serve all the time. Where does Jesus parallel this passage with one of his parables? And I would even say it's probably not a parable. It's Matthew 25. Um, then I think it's 26 through 40, or it's 21 through 46, I think. Um, and it's the um, when we get to the heaven. Um, 
they're going to divide the sheep and the goats. And he's going to say to those on his right, he's going to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Those to the left, he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And he says, well, when did you see me? When did you, uh, when did I encounter you? Well, when I was sick, you gave me something to eat. When I needed clothes, you clothed me. When I was in prison. You came and visited me. And the ones on on, that are on his left, they're going to say, well, when did we see it? Well, when you didn't come and visit me, when you didn't give me clothes, when you didn't do this, depart from me to the lake of fire. And it's like, wow, they both had the same scenarios. They both had the same opportunities in life. One of them saw it and they served and one of them didn't. That's how important hospitality is in the Lord. It's putting a lot of things together to show sacrificial action. Okay. So furthermore, in this passage, we see several sets of three. We see the three men coming. We see three seas of flour. We see three commands in making the bread. We see three quicks in this passage. And I actually found more than three in that after I wrote this. I think I found five now. So if I can find the six, I could say two sets of three. But I haven't quite found that sixth one yet. But I haven't studied, looked hard again. Uh, we see a three-course meal in this passage. And again, we've seen three and eight be a theme throughout this, the last few chapters of Abraham. And this is a passage, once again, of new life. Because it is about bringing together. It's a culmination of, and you could almost say it's, Abraham, Sarah, and the Holy Spirit coming together once again and a bond in that uh, marriage once again. There's hope for a nation to be born with this blessing that's about to take place right before the other destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So where is Abraham's heart during all of this? Well, I think right where ours should be, according to these Three passages I found in the New Testament. First Peter 4, 9 says, Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. In 1 John, it might be 2 John, uh, but one of the three letters, um, he is commending the church for looking after the traveling preachers. And he says, Demetrius, he, he's the guy, and one of the wicked things is he's turned these travelers away. We need to be being hospitable to these people. Do we need, do you need some application for living like Jesus? You want some application this morning? Anytime you need an application, just turn to Romans chapter 12. It's good application. We got two verses in Romans chapter 12, verses 13 says, love one another with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. This is one of the one another verses in um, the Bible. And then skip down to verse 20 and 21. It says, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Do not let evil conquer you but conquer evil by doing good. Okay, is that an easy passage to feed your enemies? 
What happens if you feed your enemy? It's a little harder to, to hate you if you feed your enemy, isn't it? You see that in the story of Elisha when he is in and his servant says, we're, we're in a tight spot. And he shows them the, the servants that are around of the hosts that are going on. And then he blinds the army. And he says, what should we do with these guys? Let's walk them into, uh, I think it's Samaria that they walk into. And he presents them to the king. And he's like, what should we do? Should we kill them? He says, no. Would you kill a friend? No, you would take care of them, throw a feast for them and send them on their way. And that's what they do. And they um, back off, the army backs off from destroying Israel at that point in time because it's a divided kingdom. So where did I see the best example of hospitality out of anybody in my life? It was my grandma, my grandma house's house. We used to go there after church I used to get two or three friends that would come with me and she would always have a roast. She would always have a hamburgers or something and um, she always had enough. And so come afterwards and then I'd bring a couple of friends and magically there was still always enough food there. And I don't know how she did it all the time. Well, I do now, but um, it's like, it was pretty amazing. There would be times where we were baling hay that day and we wouldn't necessarily be, the hay wasn't cut down at her farm, but it was the one over. And so she didn't necessarily know that the hay was down. And we came in with all the, the boys ready to eat and she would have a meal ready in 30 minutes. And it's just like, that would always fluster her by the way. Um, but she never complained. Um, she would always get into, what, what do I need? What can I get? To, and just, just amazing. What do I have? And so she would always have it on hand just in case we would show up like that. And um, I've learned, just so you know, ladies, I've learned that's not the most uh, polite thing to do to your grandma. So, um, but now I, I know that now. I, I didn't know that as much then. So, but she enjoyed it. And she set an example um, when we would get done on Sunday afternoon, she would get out her Bible study and she would walk through her Bible study. And we always saw her studying the word and uh, just a, a blessing to be around her and, and have that in our lives. So are we quick to serve the Lord or are we quick to give excuses? Why do you think that is? Remember, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. As we finish up the passage in chapter 18 that we're going to study this morning, uh, we're going to look at 9 through 15. The Lord says, or the visitors ask, where, where is Sarah, your wife? She's inside the tent, Abraham replied, which was different from than last time. She wasn't inside the tent. Then one of them said, I'll turn to you about this time next year and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent and Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself and said, how could a worn out woman like me enjoy such, such a pleasure, especially when my master, my husband is also so old. 
Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, Can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? That is a super important verse right there in the Bible. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. No, it's not. I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid. So she denied it and said, I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, no, you did laugh. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes, I did. Notice he points that out because what does he name the child? Isaac, which means laughter. Right? He said, we're going to remember this moment. When you think there was something impossible for the Lord, we're going to remember that nothing is impossible for the Lord. What a blessing. Nothing is impossible for God. As I mentioned before, that this passage is a passage of new life. Notice that this new life blessing, God wants to make sure Sarah is at least in earshot of this blessing once again. I think he's kind of checking up on their marriage again. He's checking up to say, how are you guys doing? Where's Sarah at? She's next door, right where she should be. She's not off in another tent. She's right next door where she should be. I think that is um, a huge stepping stone in their marriage after so long that she is back where she belongs. God wants to make sure she's in earshot as he did this in last chapter and in this chapter he made sure that Sarah was there for the blessing okay it's really important to God that Sarah is in this blessing I will return to you about this time next year and your wife Sarah will have a son and doubt comes in facts come in it's you know I'm past the point of being able to have children how can I have children at my age I'm worn out woman like me could have such a pleasure, to, especially when my husband is also old. 90 years of hardship without an heir. You promised one for the last almost 25 years, and one still hasn't shown up on the scene. And you're wondering, God, where are you? I've had to endure the last 13 years with Hagar saying that she's fertile and I'm not and the problem's with me. I've had doubts. I've had all this agony. I've had all this anxiety. Where are you, Lord? We've had two jubilees and still no kids, right? The fulfillment of God's plan happens after she's no longer fertile. Folks, I think I would laugh too. I think I'd be like, uh, this ain't happening. And he's like, remember, I created you. In a sense, she's, well, that's good. In your area. Yeah. It's too good to be true. It's too good to be true. You cannot, uh, this could not be happening to me. She forgot who was giving the blessing, didn't she? She forgot it was the creator God that is giving her the blessing. The Lord doesn't change. 
He said it's going to be true and it will be true. God responds with the question, is there anything that is impossible for me? How many times do we go on in life and we get frustrated, we get down, we don't know how we're going to go forward, but aren't we going forward under our own strength at that point? Because if God told us to move forward, nothing's impossible for him. But you don't know my husband. I know my God. Well, you don't know um, what they did to me. I don't need to know. I know the strength that you can stand up today and we can stand up one more time tomorrow. Right? Don't look for your sobriety in a year. Look at it for one more day. I'm going to be strong one more day. And tomorrow, I'll be strong one more day. Can you give me one more? Can you give me one more, Lord? Give us today our daily bread. Doesn't say give us our bread for a year. Doesn't say give us a bread in abundance so we become comfortable. No, we're dependent on the Lord. And maybe he's allowed us to walk in that so we understand that we need him. We have that dependence. And that dependence actually has to be stronger to him than it does to our addiction, to our uh, abusive husband, to our uh, whatever it may be, right? And as we walk in that, we get discouraged because our strength is not enough. We can't get by on our own strength. But praise God that nothing is impossible for him. Amen? Amen. If we are going to get by, if we're going to get through that one more day, if we're going to get through that one more conversation that is degrading to us, we need to depend on his strength. Okay, Lord, you're right. I don't have the strength. I don't have the means to get through this. I'm broken. I need you. And it's like, well, that's a good place to start. Right? Because isn't that an act of surrender? That's what he wants. We surrender to his power, to his authority, and we walk as Jesus walked. So how do we respond to God with our impossible? Do we automatically think that God's not big enough to handle our problems? Because I can't even get over my own sin. I can't even beat this, so why should I even try? Let me caution you not to identify God through your sin, but through his word and his promises. And challenge him on that. Lord, you promised that you would be my strength. You promised that you would be my uh, desires and that they would be before you. I need that now. And you pray God's word back to him. It is strong prayer. Is a very strong prayer. Because when I think of my God, I want to remember what he's done in the past so that I know he is unchanging what he's done in the past, he can do in the present. And if he can do it in the present, he can work through to my future. So did or did not God say slay giants through David? 
Did or did not God part the Red Sea and the Jordan River? Did or did not God provide for Elijah and the widow by replenishing the oil and the flour? I know my God did. Did yours? Did or did not our God give sight to a blind man? Did or did not our God walk on the water? Did or did not our God restore the sinner? Heal the sick, raise the dead, defeat death on the cross and rose on the third day. I know my God did. Did yours? So I ask you today, what is your God and our God working on in your life that you may just have laughed at? Say, God can't fix him. I'm never going to beat this to this addiction. I'll never get over my pride. I'll never do this. Maybe it's due to shame. I'm not strong enough. Maybe it's due to strength. Maybe it's, I'm never going to be good enough to do, to be that person. Maybe it's because of inexperience. I've never tried this before. Maybe it's because of fear of failure. What if I walk down that road one more time? But you got to think about it this way. If you've never failed, then you've never had big enough goals that are God-sized goals, right? Because if you always meet your goals, you've never faced a God-sized problem. But if you've failed... You can learn from your failure and that I tried to do this under my own strength. Now I'm going to try it under the strength of the Lord and we're going to see how that happens. Does it mean we're going to walk out of that? Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you need a hand to help along the way. But if we've never failed, that means we've only walked on our own strength. If we failed several times by doing it on our own strength, how about we try it with the Lord? How about we try it with the Lord, walking in faith, praying against that addiction, praying against that broken relationship that he will heal because God is a God, he is a redeemer. He doesn't look at us that we're some um, perfect thing or we should be striving for perfection, even though we should, he looks at us where we're at right now and he hand, holds out his hand and says, will you surrender to my will? Will you surrender to my way so I can lead you down the narrow road instead of the highway? So are we quick to serve the Lord or are we quick to give excuses? We need to ask ourselves why. Why are we quick to give excuses? Why am I giving excuses for my behavior? That is one of my biggest questions. As your pastor, you should know this. I ask that question all the time. Why did I have to justify that action? If I'm justifying action, I find nine times out of 10, probably 99 times out of 100, I'm trying to justify sin in my life. Okay? So I need to walk out of that. And remember, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Jesus went to the Father many, many times to get through problems of this, this world.
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your strength. It is a well that we don't tap enough. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to come alongside you as sinners because we know that your mercy is more than our sins and that we can find our strength in you. Lord, I pray that we would not justify our actions to get what we want, but we would surrender what we want to you so we can get what we need. Lord, allow us to come alongside you as you come alongside us and we can walk in step with the Spirit, Lord. And when we don't have the strength, Lord, we ask that you would reach down and pick us up and carry us along the way. That you would be our faith, that you would be our guide. Lord, I pray that we would have a disciple-making way of life that we would want to live in God and that we would live our lives as Jesus did. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As we go through every part of this day, help us to love you and to love the people who cross our path, starting with our family. Don't let us miss the adventures you are sending our way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw our hearts to you and, the, and to specific people you want us to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform us into a follower of Jesus who loves you, who loves people, who makes disciples, who makes more disciples ad infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.